So if you'd turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. You'll find it on page 978 in the Pew Bible. Tonight we're going to be talking about Ephesians 4, verse 32. But before we look at the text, I just want to start by letting your mind wander and imagine the last time that you had a fight or a disagreement or argument with someone that you loved, someone that was close to you. So was, was that occasion, was it a harsh conversation that you had with a bro- brother or sister in Christ? Was it an argument that you had with, your, with a coworker or your best friend or your spouse? Think about that moment. Meditate on what that was like. Kids, the last time that you sinned against your parents and you were disciplined at home, think about that moment and remember back to that. What were the emotions that you felt? What were the thoughts that you thought towards everyone involved in that conflict? Do you still think them now? Do you still feel those feelings now as you reflect upon that conflict? Well, to be sure, navigating human conflict is one of the hardest things in in the human life, and particularly, specifically, in the Christian life. And we're all sinners, so inevitably, we're going to sin against each other, and we're going to be sinned against. That That is a reality we're all used to and and we all can expect we all need to grow in how we handle conflict respond to conflict and reconcile after conflict so tonight as we consider the next one another command in the new testament in our series god's word offers us clear unambiguous language about how we are called to live together and to relate to each other as christians especially when we experience conflict and when we sin against each other. So I pray that this meditation tonight will be filled with real, love-saturated, Holy Spirit-driven, practical principles to which we can apply to the very next time that we have conflict or the next time that somebody sins against us or we sin against uh, someone else. So now let's turn to our text. I'm going to read starting in Ephesians 4.31 and then read through chapter 5, verse 2. But our key verse is verse 32. So Ephesians 4, starting in 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's God's word. So the big idea we're going to talk about tonight is this. God exalts himself as supremely wise, eminently loving, And as the God of peace, when he calls and empowers Christians to forgive each other 
the way that he has forgiven us in Christ. God exalts himself as supremely wise, eminently loving, and as the God of peace when he calls and empowers Christians to forgive each other the way that he has forgiven us in Christ. And our outline is very simple. We're just going to walk through the key words and phrases of the text. So four, four points. Kind forgiveness, tender-hearted forgiveness, forgiving one another, and forgiving as God forgave you. Kind forgiveness, tender-hearted forgiveness, forgiving one another, and forgiving as God forgave you. So point one, kind forgiveness. Kindness is fundamentally, it originates from the very nature of God. I mean, isn't that true? Kindness and grace are attributes of God that he's displayed to sinners abundantly. And as, as Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, he establishes it early, often, repetitiously, how gracious God has been towards sinners in sending Jesus Christ to save them. Throughout the book, Paul uses the word grace 12 times and the word riches five times to qualify the abundant nature of the grace and kindness that Jesus has shown to sinners who repent. God's plan of salvation in sending Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for ruined sinners, to rise from the dead, and to save rebels is amazingly kind, isn't it? It's, amen, it is kind. And so turn back with me to Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So just notice the words that are used to describe God's forgiveness. They are according to the riches of his grace, that is, abundantly poured out for those who don't deserve it. And that God lavished forgiveness upon us in all his wisdom and insight. So God is not squeamish or stingy or withholding in his kindness and grace and forgiveness towards repentant sinners. Instead, he extends forgiveness generously, like a thundering waterfall of unmerited mercy that never ceases. And so if we're commanded as Christians to be kind to one another in forgiving each other, the idea is that God's people are called to be similarly abundantly generous in extending forgiveness and also lavishly kind in the manner and the degree to which we ask forgiveness from others. The word that Paul uses from our verse, Ephesians 4.32, is kreistos. And so the definition speaks of being pleasant or gentle or benevolent, accommodating and service-oriented. So kreistos, that word was actually a, a word that slave masters in the first century would commonly name their slaves if those slaves proved to be faithful servants to the master. So think about that. As the people of God, we should so reflect the kind of service and grace and generosity that Je Jesus demonstrated towards us 
that we should serve each other and that we should show ourselves to be faithful servants in the way that we forgive and the way that we are willing to ask for forgiveness when we sin against another. Our quality of and impulse to forgive should be permeated with the abundant kindness that God has shown us in Christ. So then tender-hearted forgiveness. In order for forgiveness to be extended and received as a transaction, it requires a tender heart in both the offender, that's the one asking for forgiveness, and the one offended, the one extending forgiveness. In fact, true forgiveness is not actually given nor received if either the offender or the offended doesn't have a tender heart to, to transact it. So a tender heart is required on both sides that only God through the power of the Holy Spirit can provide. And again, we see the, the word used for tender heart in Ephesians 4.32 could be literally translated as compassionate and empathetic down to your guts or your bowels even. Literally, God calls every fiber of a Christian's being to feel compassion for his brother, to seek understanding, and to pursue empathy as it relates to forgiveness. And forgiveness between two sinners is impossible without these qualities transforming our hearts as we think about each other and as, as our feelings interact with each other when we sin against each other. Forgiveness always requires compassion because forgiveness is never deserved. If, if forgiveness were deserved, it would cease to be forgiveness because forgiveness inherently involves the extension of pardon and mercy. So forgiveness always involves a sacrifice of, of meeting out vengeance or a sacrifice of obtaining justice or at least a, a, a transfer of that vengeance and justice to another. A displacement. That, that's what forgiveness involves. In fact, of, of tenderheartedness, Paul says in Ephesians uh, that the opposite that would be hard-heartedness, only leads um, to ignorance and estrangement from God. So, for example, in Ephesians 4.18, speaking of Gentile unbelievers, Paul says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So, did you take notice? Hard-heartedness leads to ignorance and alienation from God. Now, I'm not saying that if a Christian, a true Christian, struggles for a time to, to have a soft heart towards their brother, I'm not saying that they lose their salvation, but to the degree that a person hardens their heart, their mind is headed in a fleshward direction, away from the thoughts of God which inhibits forgiveness. And on the other hand, to the degree that God grants a tender heart to a Christian, his mind and emotions experience greater freedom to seek empathy, to obtain understanding, to feel compassion towards the brother with, with whom they're conflicted. A tender heart is drawn in a Godward direction, which naturally produces victory over unforgiveness and the ways of the flesh, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, along with all malice. 
We need the Holy Spirit's help to have tender hearts. So does it not then logically follow that if hard-heartedness leads to ignorance of God, that a prayer to motivate us to have a tender heart is also the motivation for deeper communion and deeper knowledge and deeper understanding of God? Kindness and a tender heart are both qualities that God himself must empower if we are to become a forgiving people. I mean, the, the commands in the New Testament, these one another commands, wouldn't be commands if they came naturally to us. So we need God's help. So then, forgiving one another. In commanding Christians, in commanding the church to the kind of forgiveness described in Ephesians 4.32, Paul is not simply rendering to Christians a checklist that if completed will result in a more forgiving and more pleasant community. Paul is also not simply providing an instruction manual for more functional family or a more peaceful home. To be sure, if God grants forgiveness in the hearts of Christians, those things will increase and will occur. occur. But God's in, Paul's intention and God's intention in calling the church and empowering the church to be soft-hearted and kind in forgiveness is much grander than just that. It's actually cosmic in its implications and reveals the very nature of God when it occurs. God calls the church to practice forgiveness in community because he means to magnify his wisdom and love in saving all kinds of sinners when forgiveness is displayed by his body. So the central call and message of all of the book of Ephesians is that God has powerfully, wisely, and unexpectedly adopted an alien people, the Gentiles, into his kingdom. And so in doing so, he has made Jews and Gentiles both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So in other words, God displays the fullness of his power as the only savior and as the supreme peacemaker by not only redeeming far off people to himself but calling people who would otherwise not love each other to do to God doing what is humanly impossible in uniting people who would not otherwise forgive each other under the banner of one sacrifice for sin one faith and into one body commanding them to walk and grow in love. So how, you might ask, how does this make me a more forgiving person? Well, what God has done is truly marvelous. What we heard this morning is that as the body of Christ uh, is transformed into, into the image of Christ and behaves like Christ, we are brought to marvel and to be encouraged to love one another. And so if you need help uh, be, becoming more forgiving, marvel at what God has done in accomplishing what is set out for us here. Christians should reflect on how truly humanly impossible it was for God to bring such rivals and rebels, Jews, Jews and Gentiles, not only to love him, but to forgive each other. And called out sinners who have been transformed to love and forgive each other like this, that not only glorifies the power and wisdom of God, but in our hearts it motivates, empowers, and softens us, producing forgiveness.
the church exists and is called to display this wisdom of God in part so that we who are otherwise unable to forgive would be empowered to do so. And so when we marvel at the power of God to call together such unlikely people, we should grow in trust towards the only God who, has, who can likewise accomplish even the softening of our stony and callous hearts. It's kind of God's perpetual motion machine, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So God grants grace, spills it out richly towards sinners. This then produces faith and grounding in love in the saints, and that then creates an increase in the love and forgiveness that we experience towards each other, which then displays the love and character of God, which further then encourages the church in love and forgiveness. So do you struggle with unforgiveness towards your brother who's offended you? Do you have a hard time letting go of bitterness caused by pain when someone has hurt you? Well, I urge you to appeal to God in prayer in those moments to ask him for help to produce the kind of peace in your heart that he has done to bring such a diverse set of people together into the church a God who is truly trustworthy as the God of peace. What, what about in what we heard earlier as it relates to how we love each other from different backgrounds? Do, you, do we find it hard? Is it ever hard to love a brother or sister from a different denominational, cultural, ethnic, racial, or social background? Well, if God could conquer the rebellion uh, in the, could conquer rebellion in the hearts of such rivals as Jews and Gentiles and to make them together united as a beautiful display of forgiveness that he has extended them, that he is also trustworthy and mighty to produce tenderheartedness, compassion, and forgiveness in our hearts as we interact with people who are different from us. There is no place in the church of God for racism or classism or any ism which divides the church. So then finally, forgiving as God forgave you. God calls Christians to imitate the forgiveness that they have received in Christ towards one another. You see this straight from our verse. It says, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So are you tempted to nurture unforgiveness in your heart? One remedy would be, have you recently considered the pit from which God rescued you to extend you forgiveness? I'll speak for myself. By God's grace, he took yours truly an angry, self-obsessed teenager and slave to my own performance with little interest in God's grace except to save me from hell, a hypocrite who claimed the gospel while cultivating secret porn habit and confident most fundamentally in my own righteousness. He rescued me from that, forgave me, and imputed to me the righteousness of Christ and treats me the way that he with the perfect righteousness of Christ. And he calls me to forgive others because he has forgiven me much. Amen? If, if Jesus has accomplished this, 
saving me from hell because he took my punishment and, and was raised to life again, then the weight of any offense that my wife or my neighbor or brother ever comes to me confessing should pale into com in comparison to the wealth of forgiveness that I required, the sacrifice of vengeance or the off-putting of justice that my flesh would seek to repay the hurt from another should melt away in comparison to the sober expectation of eternal judgment that I would have faced outside of Christ. So, beloved, our very ability to emulate and to imitate Christ's sacrificial forgiveness towards one another is empowered by the same forgiveness that we are called to emulate. So, let's take a quick survey of what that looks like. The quality of our forgiveness should follow after the lavishing kindness that we have received. Our readiness to forgive should flow forth from Jesus' willingness to forgive any sinner who comes to him in repentance. Our immediacy to forgive should provide no opportunity for the devil, but instead emulate the power that the Holy Spirit has worked in our own hearts to instantly chain rebels like us the sons of the king. Our frequency of forgiveness should imitate the sheer number of sinners to which God has shown forgiveness and grace. There is no category for a sinner who approaches God with a plea for forgiveness. There is no category for a gap in that time period between when they ask and he extends it if they are truly repentant. Finally, brothers and sisters, remember that, that our strength to do any of this, to forgive each other and to come humbly to each other confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. God's command for us to imitate Christ in forgiveness does not come naturally and we need his help. So let our prayer be continually and our striving be ongoing to look to our all-wise God of peace who has loved us first and forgiven us first to produce that kind of heart and practice in our church and in our lives and our families. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. And when we hear your word, we ask that you would come and transform us. We pray that what we've heard tonight, what we've meditated on, would not simply be interesting facts to inform us, but that you would truly transform our hearts for the glory of God, and that Delray Baptist Church, and that the Christian church globally, would exalt and honor and glorify the power of God to save and forgive sinners like us, and that we would be conformed into, his, into Christ's image. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.